Hey guys, this is Pete from Red Flag Poetry here with Sarah, Wesley, Matt, and our special guest today, Tom Young. Uh, Tom was our poet on our May postcard featuring the poem Virgin um, and art by Hannah Boston. Uh, Tom, you may know the name, recently was featured in a PBS NewsHour story. Um, and uh, today we're going to talk about places... Uh, where we see poetry, and I mean not just, you know, in the, the beauty in the land and all that stuff, no, but the places where we see it as it functions as a part of our society, um, and perhaps, you know, where it doesn't. Uh, certainly we need to discuss the places where we um, see it, don't see it, and what that means to us as a, as a society. So I want to thank everyone for taking time out of their, uh, out of their day to, to join us, and uh, uh, let's go ahead and get started. Um, Tom, your poem, Virgin, was on our May postcard, um, and... you have that up? No. Yes, I do. And that poem, it's about the way that we, at least as I interpret it right, the way that we as people kind of function um, in society, in a way. Could you speak a little bit about that in your poem and how that, whether you see that or not? Uh, yeah, I think you're, you're pretty much spot on. I think it's... I kind of wrote it as a reflection of uh, kind of my view of society and maybe uh, kind of uh, relates to uh, how other people feel about it as well. But, you know, again, like with my poetry, I, I really don't have like a set idea before I actually write it. It's kind of just whatever, you know, comes in my, my mind. I may have a maybe a certain theme or something like that, but I don't really feel like I spend a lot of time trying to write these poems, I just sit down and write them, and a lot of times after I write them, I may go back and say, hey, this kind of relates to this, I might change, you know, a little something up about it if I, you know, have a particular uh, way I want to express the poem, so that's kind of just how I, I write those. That's awesome. So I think we should start first by talking about, right, um, and this is something I had planned for a while, but then your PBS NewsHour story certainly speaks to it. How is the internet a place for seeing poetry? We have websites like Poetry Foundation, uh, Poetry.org, but then we also have these new types of things where we have um, Instagram and, and poetry and all these other places. So, I mean, let's just open this up to everyone. Um, how is the internet a place for seeing poetry? I mean, we even, I don't know if it's a shame, shameful or a shameless plug to talk about Poetry Express, but we also have the, our service through Red Flag where we send um, poems to, to people through the email. Um, I think it's just kind of, I don't know what I want to say about it. I have no idea. <laughs> just that shameless plug. It's a shameless plug for the most part, yeah. That we also send people po poetry through email. Um, so your recent... That, I mean, did you think that changes how it functions at all? The way we sending it through email or anything? The way in which you interact with the poetry? How does that change how you... Certainly, so you're asking how, when I open my email, how does that change yeah. the way I perceive if that changes it, it, as opposed to seeing it on a postcard or seeing it in print on a page. Of course, but I think that's a bigger problem that I have, because I can't, I don't like to read things digitally. I can't read things digitally. Um, so do you feel more disconnected from the poetry whenever you're not like physically holding it in your hand? I think so. I think so. I think if you're sitting down and you're reading a book of poetry, you're in the mindset to read it from a book, and like you're in a poetry mindset, but if you're just getting it in your email and you just open it, and you're just kind of casually reading it, it's a different mindset than you would have if you'd set aside time to actually do that. I don't know, I'm not a poetry person, but that's my personal <laughs> no, opinion I, I, I on think that. You're, I think you're onto something. It definitely changes your perception. of, And I think that speaks to something like what Tom was talking about with these kind of trite poems that you, you see on Instagram and 
it, it change, it's easier whenever it's short and simple and even, I mean, I guess we would say, what, what's our, what's our term? Um, pithy. Pithy, yeah. Pithy, even. Um, it's easier to digest that way. Yeah, and speaking of that, that NewsHour piece, Tom, could you speak a little bit about that? How did that project come about? And you said in that NewsHour piece that you've been doing this for a while. Can you talk a little bit about that for maybe people that haven't uh, read that story? Uh, sure, yeah. I actually, I got on Instagram probably about four years ago, uh, and I was just posting pictures, and and I was already a published poet long before social media, and I had, uh, my first love is actually just submitting to, you know, like literary journals, uh, and getting published there, and short stories, uh, et cetera, and those type of things, but um, after a while on Instagram, I began to see, you know, kind of the phenomenon of a lot of these uh, what they, what I call like pop poets were, you know, getting real popular by posting this real simple, uh, type poetry about love and she and just real basic type, you know, things. So I had, had been posting my real poetry there and, you know, I had quite a few people that liked it and I had probably about 9,000 followers or followers off that. But, uh, I said, well, I'll just try, you know, this experiment, see if I can, you know, do, do what they're doing and basically, I uh, I just started doing that, and I kind of created this uh, character named Tyler, who was like a hipster, you know, after looking around, seeing like a lot of these uh, pop poets at beards and typewriters or whatever, kind of that uh, image. So I just kind of played it up, and uh, I really started getting popular and getting more likes, more followers, and it was funny just to see uh, the response. And probably in, I don't know, it's been probably less than a year I've gone from like 9,000 followers to like over 48,000 just by doing that. And uh, that was kind of my point was just to prove that anyone could really like write this and become popular on uh, social media. I don't think it really has anything to do with uh, really having a talent uh, for writing what I would consider like the true uh, craft of poetry. And I think uh, my point was just to prove that that's kind of a reflection of our society uh, where people are more instant uh, gratification and they, they don't really want to spend the time to invest in actually, you know, reading uh, something when they can just kind of glance on their phone and double tap. And I think that just kind of speaks uh, a lot to the younger generation today, the more kind of tied into these digital uh, type things. And people, you know, have an emotional response to uh, those type of shorter type uh, universal theme type things, I guess. Uh, and so, yeah, I basically just pitched the story to uh, PBS and uh, the editor, Elizabeth Flock, uh, actually really liked the idea. And she, uh, she wanted to actually do a story about this for a long time, but she was afraid, you know, she would offend people, uh, kind of step on their toes or something. But I told her, you know, I didn't care. So she actually thought it was good, and we, she called me, and we did that. And so uh, she actually ended up editing a lot of it. But, you know, again, it was a good opportunity for me. So, so Tom, do you think that these poets uh, that you kind of emulated in this in this process, do you think that we've all been trolled? Do you think that this is one giant troll fest, or... Do you think they genuinely believe in what they're doing or that perhaps 
they don't fully understand the poetic process in the same way that other poets do. Other poets who work in more uh, typical mediums or more um, original mediums that we're that we're more used to. Yeah, I think absolutely they understand it, and and uh, I think a lot of them realize that they you know they actually tried to apply their work to you know more legitimate, uh, respected publications. You know, for example, in universities, uh, you know, institutions that actually value uh, real, uh, true poetry, that their work would be you know rejected uh, pretty much all the time. And I think they understand what appeals to the masses. So I think a lot of them are stuck kind of in that box of catering to a certain uh, audience. I think, uh, you know, they realize that. And, you know, a lot of them have become, you know, bestsellers and successful because of this trite type of uh, poetry. I mean, you can go to discover poetry and see, like, some of the best-selling books are, you know, from these pop-type poets who... Basically, their books are pretty much just like blank space and, you know, maybe a couple of lines on there that are just all pretty much the same. So I think, yeah, they understand that aspect. And, you know, maybe some of them actually think that they're, you know, that what they're doing is, uh, you know, in their own mind, their real poetry. It might be, but I think, you know, most of them probably understand, you know, they're going to cater to that, that audience. It's all kind of built in there, primarily the, younger, like, teen and tween type of audience, I guess. I mean, I think most of them know that, so... Sure. So I'm, I'm interested, and not necessarily to say that I disagree with, with your premise, because I think that you're onto something, but I'm interested in the thought that maybe they don't understand that concept, but when it comes to uh, the Internet and social media, that we just don't want to invest a ton of time in it. At least for me personally, mm-hmm. um, I know that I look at my Facebook and I scroll past it. So it's that longer work um, that I find hard to digest um, in an internet presence. Um, and, and you're right, though. You look at the, the kind of the bookstores, the bookshelves, and those, the, the, pops, the pop culture stuff. Uh, but there's a lot of depth and a lot of pop culture work, too, which I think that there's... But I think to complicate that, we're also, we're also talking about creating genre space that might not have existed previously. Yeah, so. So, the medi- so the medium of Instagram is relatively new, period, and especially relatively new to the poetry scene, and even more new when you think about, like, the, the hashtag posts of Instagram. Mm-hmm. And you, you look at the top, the top, um, re-whatevers, what do you do on Instagram? Re-insta? Repost or something? Repost, something. Share. Share, whatever, whatever you do on Instagram. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whatever you do on Instagram, the, these top, these people with the most notes or whatever... Um, they tend to they tend to have these very trite poems and these very kind of easily digestible things that have been done a million a, a million times, like you've said. Um, but to to an extent, I mean, this is this is something that it's been done a million times, but it hasn't been done in that in that medium. So I, I wonder I wonder to what extent there is genre creation here, and if I, I honestly don't know if that makes a difference or not, but. It's also new, and we haven't dealt with this, and the audience that Instagram reaches is not the same audience that is reading The Times, and it's not the same audience that is looking at, um, you know, the South Atlantic Review, or, or any of these more um, respected, publications. respected publications, right? Yeah. Or Red Flag Poetry, for example. Yeah. <laughs> at the top of the list of respected poetry publications. <laughs> no. 
I think you're right. It opens up an interesting space, and we don't really know what to expect from it as of yeah. now. It's kind of, we're still in the experimental phase. Like, yeah. What are we supposed to, I mean, what are we supposed to really, there's no standards yet for what makes a good Instagram poem. Yeah. Is there? Yeah, I think, yeah, I was just going to say it. really all you need is like a Kardashian, uh, like repost, <laughs> yeah. and you'll become famous, so. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I want to play devil's advocate, too, because we're kind of shaming internet poetry in a way, but think about websites like Poets.org or Poetry Foundation that are giving us access to a lot of classic poetry and great stuff that we, normally you would have had to scour a library for five years ago to find any of this stuff. And also, I mean, let's be realistic, the aesthetic behind red flag poetry is quick and easily digestible poetry. That was, <laughs> that was Pete's founding principle. <laughs> pithy, 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 pithy yeah. poetry. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, so at, at what point... You know, where do we draw the line between what Red Flag is interested in, which I think everybody at this table, and I, and I think Tom, too, would say that, you know, Red Flag and, and Tom's work that he shared with us is not the same kind of poetry that we're talking about on Instagram, that we hold ourselves mm-hmm. to a higher standard, and yet some of the qualities are the same. But they're, they're diff- the qualities are are uh, physical quality, like length, right? That we're, we want shorter poems, right. not necessarily that uh, without depth. Sure. Like you can have something that's pithy and short and brief, but has a lot of depth. And the, the poem you just actually shared with me the other day, it was, mm-hmm. there was a lot of depth in that, Matt. So. Tom, what do you think about the popularity of, say, button poetry or these slam poets that um, are reaching newer audiences, too, and that have um, gaining popularity among maybe the same audiences that you found um, on Instagram? Do you... I mean, do you see the same kind of issues with that kind of work? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, becoming more popular. Uh, I guess I don't know if they call it like slam poetry or, uh, you know, performance poetry. Uh, for me, it's not my thing. I mean, I, I prefer just to write uh, on my own. I'm not uh, into, like, performing my poetry. I'd rather have the reader uh, interpret the poem as they see it. Uh, and I kind of, you know, in most of my poetry books, I don't name the poems, I just number them. That way the reader doesn't really have a maybe preconceived idea before reading the poem. And they, you know, they can kind of interpret that. But I think that's a good thing, uh, you know, people getting out there. And I think it's good for poetry in general. And I think a lot of the people that do those slam poetry or whatever are pretty uh, respected poets and you know, actually uh, put time and craft into the work. They're not up there, uh, you know, performing a two-line uh, sheet poem or something. I think I think it's good. I think it's only good uh, for poetry uh, from that aspect. And just to follow up on what you guys said, I think what you're doing is really good uh, with the postcard, like aesthetic with the artwork. And, yeah, I mean, you're looking for a shorter type poem, but at the same time, I think you guys are really... Uh, seeking out more respected work uh, that, you know, reflects uh, who you are maybe at the institution or university. I don't think you guys would publish a poem that said, like, she is my chaos or something. <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of, that's just kind of my, what I heard from that, so. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, can, I, can I tie this back into the visual briefly by thinking about this kind of work, too, and I think that one of the reasons that, um, maybe slam poetry gains some popularity among certain audiences is that part of that interpretive work is done through the visual the visual representation of the poet. So, I mean, we can read the facial expressions of the poet 
Um, and I actually just, I taught a poem today, and then I showed a video of the poet reading it, and it was interesting to see how the students changed their interpretations once they saw the way that the poet had delivered the poem. And it, it had a lot of effect. And this was Fatima Asgar's Pluto Shits on the Universe, which to begin with is a fun poem, but her delivery really changes, changes some things. So how important is that visual aspect? I'm just kind of spitballing ideas here. I mean, so we don't rely on that so much, but in, but in well, some ways, in some ways we do. Yeah. So I just, just, um, we have that, 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 you know, obviously we can't just send blank postcards. So that visual is, is tied to this. And it's, I mean, especially with, with, um, your postcard, Tom, with that, that skull and that kind of, it's, it's got a pop art quality to it that some of our other, um, images don't have. And I think that that's a, there's a lot of depth in just Hannah Boston's um, piece there. And I think it's great because of that. So, I mean, we, we do tie those to the visual pretty heavily. In the same way, so you, earlier you mentioned that you don't necessarily like to title your poems for that influence. Our images influence the reader just the same way that maybe a title does, at least as I can make that connection. I always find it interesting whenever they kind of work in a way we never would have thought they would have. Like, I, I remember looking back to, it wasn't the IV and the quilt, and, and I mean, yeah. that, that just, that worked so well in a way that it didn't, the quilt doesn't necessarily tie to that poem directly, but it did. It, yeah. Like, it really did in, in a way that we never really would have thought of. That was Laura Scroggs, yeah. it wasn't the IV, so, yeah, yeah. And I, and I think, Tom, uh, the artwork that uh, was paired with your poem, in a way, accentuated that it was a So some of our, some of our postcards, um, the artwork is almost... It's hard to tell what is dominating the postcard itself. Yeah. Sometimes the artwork is very powerful, and, but it actually it worked around your car. It worked around your poem in ways... And we've had a few like that. We actually had a graphic designer one time design... A postcard around the poem itself. Um, what did you What did you think of the artwork that was paired with your poem? Uh, I thought it was awesome. I mean, I think you're right. I think artwork is so important, uh, especially nowadays. With a, a lot of people are more visual. I mean, if you want to get back to you know something like Instagram, people are more visual, and I think it's it really in, enhances to the point where people can see a. You know, a certain image or something, and they it kind of gives them a visual picture of maybe the words uh, coming to life as they read them. So I thought the artwork was great, and you know, my brother is also an artist, so I know you know the stuff he does is really important. And uh, as far as getting that visual aspect, and you know, I've used a lot of his artwork for my book covers, and it really, I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's a great cover really will draw the reader uh, in and that visual aspect. So I completely agree with that. Um, and I think it's great, uh, you know, for poetry as well. And, and maybe it can even be used to get people more interested in reading more poetry. That's uh, what I would consider like a true craft of writing or, you know, what you guys are doing uh, with the postcards. So I think that's a really good thing. So, I mean, we've been talking a lot about the visual art, um, but there are also these other types of forms like erasure or found poetry, stuff that takes something that currently exists and changes it into a more poetic thing. Um, and, you know, it, there was this uh, project I did once where we had to uh, write poems and go hang them up on, on billboards, you know, um, and try to influence people in that way, not billboards, uh, cork boards. 
right, in a building. We had to try to influence people that way. What do we think about finding poetry like that? Is that something that we can say, yeah, this is, this is a good way of poetry, or, you know, I know that you, you actually were doing erasure poems on uh, the postcards. Old postcards, yeah, kind of. Well, and I also at one point went around and took a bunch of our postcards and just like kind of put them a bunch of places mm-hmm. on campus and in Nebraska at a conference. And <laughs> so, I mean, I, don't, I think it, I, I, I enjoy those sort of things, but that's just me. And I guess I have a definite, definite bias to finding a poem on a corkboard somewhere and going, ooh, this is cool. But I feel like I would like to believe other people enjoy it as well. Tom, do you do any of that found poetry or erasure poetry? Have you ever tried? Uh, no, I mean, not not kind of specifically, you know, what you guys were saying. Um, one thing I have been a part of for the last uh, three years, which has been kind of cool, is uh, there's a publisher out of New Jersey called uh, 48 Street Press, and they do a, uh, like, a broadside series. And I've, I've been published within the last three years, and I've just got, you know, those in the mail this week. And uh, basically... You know, you, you have these broadsides and you can mail them out, uh, to people that want them all over the world. And it's actually been pretty cool because it, they publish a lot of, like, famous, uh, poets, like, uh, you know, Doug Blazik was one, uh, that was in there. And, uh, a couple other, like, that I like, like Scott Ladotti and Josh Dale. And, uh, I think it's just a different medium, uh, to get your work out there. And I think a lot of people don't know about broadsides and, you know, maybe the history uh, behind those. And so, you know, I don't know if that really relates to what y'all are talking about, but to me it's an interesting medium where people actually can get a physical representation of the coin and maybe have artwork uh, with it as well. So. so in getting those broadsides, have you ever mailed them to somebody randomly? Um, <laughs> yeah, I have. I've actually left them in, like, random places. So, <laughs> I mean... Whether somebody found them, I don't know, but um, a lot of times what I do is, uh, you know, if, uh, if people will buy my book, I'll mail them some free broadsides. Or really, if just people want them, I'll just mail them to them. Sure. So it's just a cool way of getting work out there. So, kind of last thing yeah. I want to talk about. Uh, where do we, where can we see more poetry? Where do we need more right now, right? So the internet we've already talked about. Is pretty saturated, right? There's, there's. Well, is it saturated enough? I, I, is the internet saturated in general? <laughs> um, is there enough poetry on the internet? I don't know. But where do you need more? Is there enough poetry on the internet? <laughs> I, I like that question actually. Yeah. Um, where can we use more poetry? I mean, what do you guys think? Our friend Amanda, who runs Words Dance Publishing, uh, had a phase where she did guerrilla poetry, uh, particularly on IUP's campus. She would, she would um, basically cut out essentially what what Matt was doing too. But she would gather these poems and she would just go and like plaster them all over the place. Or she would have like you know those little, they're like an ad, and then they've got the little phone number strips on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They would have like lines of poetry on that that you could take, and you like take the okay. yeah. Um, just one line. It was just like I don't I don't know. This was like ten years ago. I never oh. actually saw them. I don't know exactly. Yeah, but um, but something like that, or like, I mean, is that you know, is guerrilla po- poetry too easily digestible, or is that something that we need? 
I mean, do you think that's, I mean, what does that accomplish, too, is what you kind of have to ask yourself, too. I don't know, I mean. But is there, was, I mean, in that, that guerrilla poetry, is there an end game? Even me posting poems around my, you know, a, a building, was there, what's the end game there? What's the goal? And I, at that point, I, did, I didn't have one. It was, it, was a, it was a task. It was a project, you know. Um, what's the difference? Well, no, what? I mean, what's the difference between a goal for a project like that, right? So just exposure, you know, yeah. you like your, uh, and what's the goal for red, black poetry in, in certain ways? Or, or Tom, what's your goal as a poet? I mean, is it, to, is it for your voice to reach as many people as possible? Because if that's the case, then those Instagram followers who are after trite poetry mm-hmm. um, count. Or do they not? I mean, at what point? At what point does that make a difference? I'll just say, like, uh, the reason I did that basically is to get people to read my real poetry. Sure, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I remember you said at the bottom. You said in the in the news hour story, you had a lot of the real poetry in the bottom, like in the tags and stuff like that too. Isn't that is that true? Uh, well, yeah, primarily like in the in the uh, caption, it was just satire. You know, a lot of times I was joking or tell people, you know, this was a joke, but a lot of people obviously don't read it, so they don't get it. But the one thing that has helped by doing this, like try poetry on Instagram, is it's got people to actually buy my real books mm-hmm. with my real poetry. And a lot of people really like it. And, you know, they want, you know, I get a lot more requests for like, you know, post your real poetry and we really like this. It kind of, you know, introduces them to maybe some, but I consider more of real type poetry. So I think you just have to be aware and use that to your advantage because obviously, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, or we mentioned people on Instagram want the short, relatable type things. And, you know, uh, if you can use that to get them to actually buy your real poetry, I think, I think that's, you know, what it's all about. So, so, uh, and I think Wes has some experience with this in terms of like newsprint poetry from the 19th century. Right, mm-hmm. so that's a thing that happened. You know, you could pick up a newspaper; there'd be some poetry in there, and that's something that's distinctly gone now. I, I can't think of any newspaper that would publish a poem seriously. Indiana Gazette has a poetry section. Well, you know what I mean, like <laughs> major. Not saying that the Gazette doesn't. Then doesn't. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the Times does. does it? <laughs> yeah. Really, Times has poetry. Yeah, yeah. Time, but I mean, but it doesn't rare. get as much. It's not. Yeah, pro, it's not prioritized. I yeah. apologize. And it's yes. also it's also like Ocean Vuong, right? Yeah. Like the Times has published Ocean Vuong. The Times isn't going to publish you or me. Right. So what is that? I mean, do we need more of that? What if, in terms of poetry interspersed with our news, is the point I'm getting at here, does that change the way we see the world if we if we have, you know, uh, a story on, you know, this major incident, and then we have a poem that's kind of co- uh, giving it context? Does that change the way we see things? Cultural events, the world, people? That sounds like you just developed a very, really interesting idea for a newspaper that has current events coupled with, with <laughs> poems that are inspired by those events. Next month when I play. Yeah. <laughs> um, I really want to read this newspaper now. Um, and I think it would. It would definitely add something to it. But I don't know if you would ever actually get that. That's not right. that. I don't know if that even ever... Did that exist in like the 19th century? Would there be a poem, like a, a news story coupled with a poem in, that was inspired by that news story I mean, in a way? No, or? not really. I mean, it didn't... Yeah. I mean... The timing didn't work like that, yeah. but also, I mean, let's let's remember too that we're talking about changing mediums and changing media landscapes, and so a newspaper might not a, a exist in which these kinds of pairings happen. But in a, in a sense, you know, if you tag something correctly on Instagram, you're going to look at exactly. you're going to look at something political, and then at the same time, so in a sense, in a sense that 
that sort of connection. Uh, the yeah. internet is creating that sort of connection. Yeah, I mean, media media mm-hmm. is changing, and I and I think that in some sense, poets have to adapt. And I think that you know, Tom, Tom, I think you particularly have done a good job of that adaptation um, in in making that in making that media and that shifting media landscape work for you as a poet. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really that's really awesome. Yeah, I think uh, it would be great if people actually read newspapers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's kind of a dying medium, but yeah, like you said, man, if you could like tie in like poetry in there, and, uh, that'd be awesome. But you know, I think like we said, uh, everything's a digital uh, nowadays. That you know, people people don't really respond to that. What's kind of considered a dying medium, I guess. Uh, they're more instant. I think that's how the youth is. Being a teacher, I can see that uh, with my students. You know, their their attention spans are not there. So, I mean, you have to be creative and try to get them to to get invested in some of these older type, you know, poems. Like, you know, uh, we did a book on Oscar Wilde, uh, which was great. And a lot of the kids had never weren't familiar with his writing, and uh, they really liked it. So, you know, if you can get a few of them invested in that, and I think that's good, but you have to be aware as well of just how that generation is, and that, that's kind of what I've done by using social media, and uh, it, it's worked for me. So I think a lot of uh, other you know pop poets got mad, uh, maybe felt like that exposed them a little bit, but uh, you know that's that was fine with me. I, uh, you know, I just kind of proved the point that you know you can use this medium to your advantage, and you have to understand what it is, but. Yeah, if you could definitely do something with newspapers, I'd be all for that. I think a lot of the poets back in the 19th century were basically like rock stars, uh, you know, back then. And I think today it's kind of the same thing, only probably the intellect has gone down or the critical thinking is not there, so. Yeah, um, no, yeah, for sure. What do you think about, so you mentioned your students. How? What age range do you teach, Tom? Uh, I teach uh, juniors primarily, eleventh grade. Great. How much? How much does that influence your understanding of these changing mediums? You know, I mean, what 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 do your students do? What are your students interested in? And and does that does that shape what any of your approaches as a poet? Yeah, I mean, they're you have to be digitally uh, engaged. I mean, they're not at least with this generation. They're so on their phone or devices, you know, all the time. So I think if you can use that and implement it into the class, uh, that's what they're going to be more engaged uh, doing those type things instead of just having a textbook and lecturing. They're not going to, you know, most of them are not going to pay attention. But if you can do something related to poetry uh, involving digital uh, type things, and I've shown them some of my poems, and, you know, they didn't, they didn't understand them, <laughs> but uh, yeah. at a point published, published in a common line journal called Gills, which was a real, uh, you know, you could interpret the poem anyway, so that's something I used uh, with them, getting them to do like a, a literary analysis on it, and uh, just getting their thoughts out there, so showing them it's, you know, it's on the internet, and they can kind of interpret it how they want, so yeah, I think you have to be digitally engaged with these kids today, because they're not you know, they're not going to respond to just reading a textbook. Uh, and they like uh, pop poetry. I mean, Milk and Honey by Rupi Carr is actually taught uh, in the state of Texas. So 
a lot, a lot of the girls, you know, a lot of them like love that. You know, to me that I wouldn't consider that very good work, but yeah. uh, that's what they like. So I mean, if you can kind of relate that and get them more interested in poetry, and then kind of maybe introduce them to some things that uh, I would consider a, a lot better, uh, then you know, great. Whatever you can do to keep them engaged, for sure. Hopefully those are uh, gateway poems, you know, or something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, this, I mean, this is a really great conversation. we got to start wrapping it up here. But I want to thank everyone um, for taking time out of their schedule today, uh, especially you, Tom, uh, being in, in Texas. I know you have a bit of a time difference. Um, uh, no problem. Thanks for you guys having me on. Thank you so much. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Hey, thank you, Tom. Thanks. We'll talk soon. Okay, good luck. You guys have a great semester. You too. Bye. Thanks. So next month, uh, we have a poem by... Next month's poem by Angelo Ganorga is called Old Timer, and the express poem is A Love Without Edges by Tara Roeder. If you want to have these poems delivered to your mailbox, uh, delivered to your email inbox, sign up. Uh, subscription is what keeps this podcast and this publication alive. Um, so the best way to keep us going is to get some poems. Mm-hmm. And we all know you want to hear more of this. <laughs> so that's all from us at Red Flag. I'm Pete, Matt, <laughs> Wesley, Danielle, who is here, but she was my rival. <laughs> and Sarah. Bye. I'm Matt. <laughs> <laughs>